0: what's up how's everybody doing tonight sweet man it's packed out tonight man what's up it's exciting yeah we had to bring out another row of chairs we set up two new rows tonight an X one down front X in the back got to bring out another got people sitting on the floor over here I mean what the heck's going on so uh welcome to the to uh well we're gonna get to that later um, if you guys have seen some new branding up uh, as we have, you've seen the high school, high school at 12 Soul new logos and all that kind of stuff, we'll talk about that stuff a little later tonight. Uh, and so, uh, so the point is, is officially making some transitions. But I want you to open your Bibles up tonight. We're going to just jump right in. If you open up your Bibles in Matthew chapter 4, raise your hand if you brought your Bible here tonight. Who brought their Bible in the house tonight? You know what? For bringing your Bible tonight, let me give you a $5 bill just for, just for bringing your Bible tonight. Let me just, what about me? I would be poor if I gave everybody. I'm already poor. What am I saying? All right, if you got your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. We're going to get into the Word tonight. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible under your seat, or you can also look up at the screens and... uh, and we're going we're gonna to read um, this passage. And, and basically where we're at is we're uh, in, the, in the story of the temptation of Jesus. Now let me set this up a little bit for you. Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist... He come up out of the water, we see the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and a voice from heaven from God the Father saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And then the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God then leads Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And we pick up this passage in Matthew chapter 4. And I want to read it to you real quick and then I want to point out a few things, we're going to get after it. So this is what he says. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Duh. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So let me t- set up a little bit this story. Let me set up a little bit about what's going on. So Jesus has been led out into the wilderness. He's been tempted. He has been fasting now, the Bible tells us, for 40 days and 40 nights. And then Satan, the devil, the tempter, comes to Jesus. Now, this is what we know. We know that we don't know a lot about what was going, going on during those 40 days. All we know is that Jesus was not eating and Satan was not sleeping. See, Satan knew that Jesus was about to be at a place in his life where he was as weak as he may would ever be. And we see the tempter coming to Jesus. Now notice, Satan does not come to Jesus on day 10 of Jesus' fast. He doesn't come to Jesus on day 20 of his fast. He doesn't come to him on day 30 of Jesus' fast. He comes to him on day 40 of Jesus' fast, the last day. See, he's he's clever, he's crafty, he's smart. He knows when to bring temptation into Jesus' life. And listen, he knows when to bring temptation into your life. Make no mistake about it. And he comes to Jesus at the weakest moment, when Jesus is weak and when Jesus is alone. 40 days and 40 nights of not eating. And listen, Satan is smart. He does not tempt Jesus with things that he knows Jesus doesn't want. So what does he tempt him with? He says, Jesus, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus was hungry, no doubt about it. And we see that, that, that Satan begins to launch his attack. And the, and the first thing we see about the attack that Satan launches is that Satan dangles a lure. Satan dangles a lure. If you have notes, you can take notes along with us. Satan dangles a lure by offering Jesus something that was attractive. Satan dangles a lure by offering Jesus something that was attractive. He knew what Jesus wanted, he knew Jesus was hungry. So the first temptation is he tempts Jesus to turn a stone into bread so that he would have food to eat. He tempts Jesus with the thing that he needs, the thing that he wants. That's what he does in our lives. See, Satan makes things attractive for us so that those temptations are much easier for us to fall into. And he knows where we are. He knows where we are weak, and so he taxes us in those moments. So what he does is, is it like if there's someone who, for, for example, someone who's, who's dealing with some financial troubles, financial situations in their life, then Satan will tempt them with something that they desire, something that is attractive to them. Maybe it is stealing a little bit out of the cash register at work. Maybe it's cheating a little bit on their taxes with the IRS. See, Satan knows when to hit us. He knows when to hit us below the belt. He knows when we are weak. And he knows that when pressure comes, typically that is when we are so open to temptation. If you feel pressure from home to make a certain grade, then you will have the temptation when test time comes to look on someone else's paper. The temptation will come. You will be attacked where you are weak. If you are lonely... If you feel alone, then you will feel the temptation at times to to be depressed, maybe to self-mutilate or cut yourself in order to try to take away the pain. If you feel alone, then maybe what you'll do is you'll look at porn or you'll do other things that he will tempt you with to draw your attention away so that you will not feel the pain of aloneness or the pain of, of the pressure of depression. He knows when we're weak. He knows how to devise strategies to attack us. In fact, in 1 Peter 5.8, the Bible says this. The enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy me. Satan is not some mythical creature that was made up and just placed into the Bible. Satan was a creation of God created as the most beautiful of all the angels, Ezekiel tells us. And he wanted to be like God when he saw the worship of God. And he was cast out of heaven because of that. Isaiah tells us he wanted to raise up like the Most High. Pride was at the core of his sin. And now he wants to take everybody with him, including you. We're going to talk about temptation tonight. And we're going to to really dive into this thing. And I want to show you how this works. See, Satan dangles a lure. I looked up lure in the in the uh, in Webster's just to kind of see what, what the word uh, was defined in Webster's, and it was and it says this: lure, lure means this: something that leads an individual into a place or a situation from which escape is difficult. Lures are tempting and attractive baits used to trap someone or something. That's the reason when you go fishing, you fish with lures. They're attractive baits used to trick a fish into grabbing a hold of it. You were tempting the fish with something that is attractive, something that he wants, food. Anybody like the fish in here? Yeah. Dude, I love the fish, man. See, I grew up on a farm, we had a pond in our backyard, and we go fishing all the time. And my brother and I, we like anybody, anybody got any brothers or sisters? And you're like super competitive with each other? Yeah. So my brother and I are 18 months apart, so we're really close. <laughs> Uh, he was like uh, two years behind me in school. We played baseball together, football together, wrestled together, all that kind of stuff uh, through sports throughout school. And uh, and we got a lot of fights with each other and all that. Because we would compete at everything. If, if we were doing something, we were competing. And we would go fishing all the time. And every time we would go fishing, it was all about who could catch the biggest fish, who could catch the most fish. And, dude, we would talk so much smack to each other. Any smack talkers in the house? I'm a smack talker. And so we're talking smack to each other about who's going to catch fish. And so, what. What happened is, I hook up on a fish and I'm like, yeah, what's up, bro? What's up now? You know what I'm saying? And I get it right to the bank and the fish will jump off. I'm like, nah, that's one man. He's like, nah, man, if you don't got it in the boat, it don't count. If you don't get it shore, it doesn't count. You know what I'm saying? Anybody have that rule? If you don't get it in the boat, it don't count. Yeah, y'all ain't good fishermen. That's what I'm saying. If you don't get it in the boat, it don't count. And so what we would do is, we'd say, and the reason we would say that is because we knew that you didn't have the fish until you actually landed it, until you got him on shore, until you got him in the boat. Because what happens is that when you pull the fish out of the water, you pull it away from its source of life and you place him on the shore, you place him in the boat, he's helpless. It can't fight anymore. It is is at your mercy on what you want to do with it. Man, we love to go fishing. Now listen, the fisherman who is the best fisherman always catches the most fish. Have you ever been fishing with somebody? They're fishing in the same spot you're fishing in using some of the same stuff that you're using, yet they've caught ten fish and you've caught one fish. That ever happened to you before? I'm like, man, I just want to, I went with this friend, he does a lot of bass tournaments, all this kind of stuff, and we went fishing out on his boat, and we're just going around doing this bass, and I've been fishing a long time, and I'm fishing, all this kind of stuff, and I catch one fish, he catches five bass. I'm like, what the heck is going on? It wasn't because he was using better bait than me, it was because he's a better fisherman than me. And what he learned was, is that he learned that when fish weren't biting certain things, or in certain ways, he had to switch up his strategy. So he would change lures, or he would change the depth in which he fished. Hear me. Satan is the greatest fisherman. The greatest fisherman when it comes to temptation. He knows what lures to put on to come and catch you. And he wants you to bite so that he can set the hook. So that he can reel you in. And if you can't shake the hook, then once he gets you on the shore or once he gets you on the boat, you are at his mercy. You cannot break free. That's the reason some of you have been struggling with the same sins and the same temptations for years now, months now. And all you feel like is a fish and a boat just flopping around, gasping for breath. That's what you look like. And it's the truth the reason the Bible says, don't let Satan get a foothold. Listen, temptation is real. You know it, I know it. I have it, you have it. And for some of you, you feel stuck. You feel stuck. And see, what happens is, is that every person in this room is tempted by different things, right? See, he's a good fisherman, so what he does is is that he may cast out this bait over here to you and he's trying to get you to bite on this bait. But if you don't, then he's going to cast out something else. And so what that means is is that the things that I'm tempted by may be different than the things that you are tempted by. The things that I am tempted by are different than the things that my wife is tempted by. The same goes if I'm going fishing for sharks, I'm going to use different bait than when I'm fishing for crappie. And there are many temptations out there. And for some of you, You were tempted with image issues. For some of you, you were tempted with sexual issues. For some of you, you were tempted with drugs and alcohol, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You were tempted with a myriad of things. And for some of you, those temptations don't make sense to you because those things don't tempt you, but there are other things that do tempt you. And He knows that. I don't understand certain temptations that people deal with. Because they're not things that trip me up. But that doesn't mean that the things that trip me up are any worse or any less worse than the things that trip them up. And Satan dangles a lure. He dangles a lure. And let me tell you something. In seasons of obscurity, like we talked about last week, in seasons where things seem to just kind of be in the rut, when you feel like you're just kind of growing and you're not getting anywhere, in those seasons of our life, temptations, and Satan seems to tend to wiggle his way in and set the hook more often. In fact, Thomas Brooks says it this way. Satan baits the hook of the flesh with the temptations of the world. That's a worm, in case you didn't know. (laughs) Satan baits the hook of the flesh with the temptation of the world. In fact, what he does is he's a Puritan writer and he he writes in his book, he talks about how there are three things that are pulling at us. There is the flesh... There is the world and there is Satan. And Satan uses the flesh, the the hook of the flesh, to bait it with the temptations of the world. Now the reality is we all have flesh. We all have flesh and blood. And what does this flesh thing mean? Well, the Bible tells us that, that, that we have a soul and we have a body or our flesh. And when we give our life to Jesus, the Bible tells us that we become a believer and he gives us a new nature with it inside of us so we no longer have a sin nature. And so now our soul has been made alive so we can now live with eternal life with Jesus. But the reality is our body is still going to die. We still live in this body of sin, this body of flesh. And this body still has cravings and still has desires. That's the reason that in Galatians chapter 5 he says man it's difficult for believers because you have the spirit of God living in you but you have this flesh within you. This hook and Satan keeps baiting the, the hook of the flesh with all these things of the world trying to get you to bite on. Trying to lead you into temptation so he can destroy you as a believer. So that you become ineffective as a believer. So that your marriage falls apart one day. So that your world falls apart now. So that you can so that you will be destroyed because that's what he wants to do that's the reason in Romans the Bible tells us this I love this passage he says um, in Romans eight thirteen. it says for if you live according to the flesh you will die but if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body you will live See, what he's saying here is that we have to put the death to flesh. We can't live for the flesh. We can't live for the things of this world. We have to put the death to flesh so that we can live by the Spirit. And the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 5, and gives us a list of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It goes to this whole list of the things that we are to live by the Spirit in as a follower of Jesus. Satan doesn't want us to live that way. He wants to destroy us. He wants to take us out. Jesus recognized the lures that Satan was using on him. Here's the question for you. Do you recognize the lures that Satan uses on you? Do you recognize the lures that Satan uses on you? The second thing we see as he launches into this temptation is we see that Satan exploits a natural longing by, like, by appealing to human desire. Satan exploits a natural longing, right? Like he comes after Jesus with something that Jesus is longing for. Jesus was hungry. Satan says, Jesus, just eat, man. Like you desire it. You feel like eating, just eat. Bro, eating is not a sin. Eating bread is not a sin, so why don't you just eat? It's not a big deal, Jesus. I mean, you're hungry, make this rock food, eat it, and everything's going to be good. I mean, that sounds reasonable, right? See, it sounds reasonable because of the way that Satan crafts it. He crafts it in such a way that where we cannot see the way that he can destroy us. That's the reason the PK said on Sunday, he said, Satan tempts us to satisfy godly appetites in ungodly ways. Food was not sinful for Jesus. You have to see the deception here. See Satan was trying to make Jesus think about food and not about obedience. He was using food as a distraction. It wasn't a sin for Jesus to eat the food. But what it was a sin was to not wait until God had had got him to a place where he could eat the food. See, God had told him to wait. It wasn't what he ate. It was when he ate. And Jesus recognized that. Hey, listen. The The same goes with other temptations in our life, right? Think about sex. See, Satan says, sex is good. Do it. Hey, man, it's right here in front of you. She's about it. Not a big deal. You have those desires. Hey, if it feels right, just do it. And what happens is, is that Satan tells us to indulge in the immediate. And God says, wait on the ultimate. See, it's not about, is sex bad? Of course sex is not bad. What Satan is saying is true. Sex is not bad. In fact, God created sex. It was God's idea. God designed marriage and ordained it and said, this is something that I have placed here. But I have put boundaries on it because, listen, everything good in life has boundaries on it. Everything worth protecting, everything that is valuable in our life, we put boundaries on. We protect because it is important. And so God put boundaries on it. And he says, listen, if you want to have the most satisfaction in sex, if you want to have the most joy in this way, if you want to have it in the most holy way, the only holy way, then it is to be with one man and one woman in the context of marriage. But what Satan says is, is that God's boundaries don't matter. He gets us thinking about the desire and the feelings of what we want when he knows that God is saying, hey, listen, it's not about the fact that sex is bad. It is a godly appetite. But what happens is is that Satan wants you to handle it in an ungodly way. He wants you to handle it in an ungodly way. And that is where we get into trouble. See, it's not about what. It's about when when it comes to sex. And the when is marriage. It wasn't about what Jesus ate. It was about when Jesus ate. Because Jesus wanted to be obedient to God. See, here's the interesting thing about temptation. There's two major stories of temptation in the Bible. The most obvious is the story of Jesus being tempted, and the other one is when Adam and Eve are tempted in the garden. Here's the interesting thing about the story of Adam and Eve Satan tempts them in the same way. He comes to Adam and Eve, and 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 uh, he comes to Adam and Eve in the form of a servant, and he says to Eve, He says, Hey, come on, why don't you eat some of the fruit from this tree? She says, oh, we can't eat from that tree. God said so. He said, if we eat from that tree, we will die. Satan says, you will not surely die if you eat from this tree. For God knows that if you eat from this tree, you will be like him. See, the temptation comes. And then notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, she saw that the fruit was good to eat, and she ate it. See, what she missed was is that Satan got her so focused on the desire and so focused on the fruit that she forgot about obedience. She forgot about obedience. She gave in to feelings and emotions. She said, well, this feels right. It feels like it's okay for me to do this. I mean, his arguments are convincing. And she gives in. See, this is the interesting thing about Jesus. Jesus does not let his feelings and desires lead him. He lets God's truth lead him. That's the reason when he's tempted, he says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He quotes scripture. He lets them know that, listen, man, God is the one who's leading me. My desires and my feelings aren't leading me. Yeah, I do desire that, but, but I have to wait because obedience is more important to him. Listen, one of the temptations, the temptation with Adam and Eve, led to death, and the temptation of Jesus led to life. Jesus understood that if he had given in to temptation, that the loss would have been far greater than the gain. And what happens is, is that Satan tells us, dude, listen, give in to the immediate. It's all about now. What you want now. Don't wait for the ultimate. If it feels good, if you desire it, do it. And God is saying, I have something unbelievable planned for you in your life. And every time you give in to the immediate, you are sacrificing that ultimate plan that I have for your future. Jesus' response to this situation is he makes a choice based on the ultimate and not the immediate. Jesus knows what's at stake if he fumbles the ball. Think about this just for a minute. If Jesus had given in to temptation and sinned, which by the way, Jesus was tempted. He was 100% God. He was 100% man. He was fully divine. He was fully human. Jesus was tempted. The Bible tells us Jesus was tempted in every way that we are tempted yet without sin. So he was tempted. The temptation was there. Satan knew this. This is why he was tempting them because Jesus humbled himself, put on flesh, humbled himself as a man, as Ephesians or as Philippians chapter 2 tells us. He humbled himself, put, takes on the form of a man so that he is now in the flesh and he's living in the confines of the flesh. And he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. But here's the reality. If Jesus had sinned, He would not have been the spotless, sinless, perfect sacrifice to take away the sins of the world when he died on the cross. Jesus understood that there was an ultimate in the future. As much as he desired to eat the bread in the immediate, he understood that the ultimate that God had for him was far greater. And not only would it by eating that uh, by eating that bread would he have sinned against God, but he would no longer have been to would been, have been able to be a sacrifice for our sin. He understood the ultimate. Guys, you got to understand that, man. Every decision that you make in your life for the immediate can sacrifice what God has for you in the ultimate. What trades are you making right now that will dismantle your future? See, every time we make decisions in the immediate, we are making trades that can compromise and dismantle our future. And I don't have to go deep into different temptations that we're talking about in here. You know what your temptations are. You know what the lures are that the enemy uses to destroy you. What decisions are you making in the immediate right now that are dismantling your future? The third uh, way that Satan launches attack against us is that Satan presents a tempting invitation by mixing truth with a lie. He mixes truth with a lie. See, Satan feeds us this lie, the lie of just once. Hey, Jesus, it's not a big deal, man. Just, come on, just have some bread. The lie of just once. We buy into this lie all the time. Just try it once. Hey, man, like, bro, come on, man. Just have sex with your girlfriend one time. Just once. Hey, man, just just, just one drink. Hey, just one joint. Hey, just one little lie. It's not that big of a deal. Just once, just once, just once. And Satan feeds us the lie of just once because Satan knows this. When it comes to our appetite, our appetites always crave more. Our appetites always crave more. Think about porn. you go to the computer, you pull it up, something pops up on the screen. Now, rarely do things just pop up on the screen. I digress. Something pops up on the screen. Now, you have a decision to make. You can can live for the immediate. You can go for immediate gratification. Or you can live for the ultimate and say, hey, God's got an ultimate plan for me for sex in the future. God's got an ultimate design for me in the future. God knows, I know that this will sacrifice and could dismantle my future. But I'm I'm not that concerned about it. And so you click on it. And you look at it. And then you click off of it and you're like, man, I shouldn't have done that. I'm an idiot. What did I do? It's just once. And then the next time you're home alone, you go over to the computer again, something pops up again, you look at it again. And then the next thing you know, you find yourself going to the computer more and more, except for this time it's not just popping up on your screen, you're going to look for it. And then what happens is, instead of you just, it just popping up your, on your screen and you going and looking for it, then what happens is, is that you start planning for it. Well, I know my mom's going to be at work until this time, so if I can get home from school by this time. I know that if this happens and I'm able to pull this thing out. And then you start scheduling around it. And then it grabs a hold of your life. And then it destroys you. And it just started with just once. Just once. I'll never forget in eighth grade, I lived on a farm where was in the woods behind my parents' house. A couple of my friends were over at my house. We went in the woods. We're walking through the woods. One of my buddies pulled out a joint. He says, hey, come on and take a hit, man. I was in eighth grade. I was like, dude, I'm not going to take a hit of that, man. I'm good. Hey, just one time, man. Just try it. And I tried it. Just once. And I smoked pot for the next five years of my life. I sold it and I used it. Just once. Listen, when you buy into the lie of just once, it will destroy you every time. All Satan needs you to do is to bite that hook one time so he can set it. And once he sets it, you're in trouble. And you know, you know if you have ever jumped into something just once. The pull, the weight of the appetite. Because what happens is, and actually we know this to be medically true. That what happens is, is that when we have an appetite, maybe even something that we don't have an appetite for. In fact, we never had a desire for that in our life. But once we experience it, all of a sudden in our brain, all of a sudden in our brain, it clicks. Some pleasure thing clicks in our brain. And then now every time something happens, that we click back to that thing that we felt barless pleasure. And it becomes a brain thing. Any dog lovers in the house? I love dogs. Um, I don't have a dog right now. I'm sad about it. But my last dog, his name was Mater. Mater. I named him after Toe Mater from Cars because he was just this dopey yellow lab. And um, now, listen, I, I love training dogs. Um, I love teaching my dogs all kinds of tricks and all that kind of stuff and um, I can house train a dog like in like No time and so it is but there's there's rules that I set with my dogs And I make this clear and I start them when they're little puppies so that by the time they're like fully grown I have I have built these things into them So one of my rules is you can't get on the furniture and So none of my dogs ever get on the furniture so I never have to worry about hair on the furniture or this or that or whatever. And so I never allow my dogs to get on the furniture. And you know what? They don't even try to get on the furniture because they've never been on the furniture before. If I was ever to hold them when I'm a puppy, i never hold them on the couch. i always hold them on the floor. I know that's weird. Another thing that I do is I never allow my dogs to eat from the table. I never feed them from the table. My dogs have never tasted any kind of food other than dog food in their entire lives. You know what's cool about it? When I'm eating at the dinner table, I don't have the dog laying his head in my lap going, <laughs> Give me some. Anybody's dog like that? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you're like, dang, we, we don't spoil that dog. So I get, these two, I get these two foreign exchange students, they're college students, one's from Dominican Republic, one's from Haiti. They come and they move into my house and they're living in my house and I'm letting them live there and all this kind of stuff for a year. And so we would eat at the dinner table, and I'm getting to know these guys. The guy from Haiti, he speaks French and Creole. The guy from Dominican Republic, he speaks Spanish. I speak English. I don't speak any of that stuff. And so I'm, we're sitting at the table, like, just quiet, just, you know, looking at each other, you know. Hey, how was your day? And they're like, no, i blood, whatever. Anyways, <laughs> and, so, uh, and so, <laughs> so we're sitting there, and uh, we're sitting at dinner one night, and Mater is sitting there at the table looking at me and he never does that and I'm like what are you doing and he's like and Yosue my Haitian takes a piece of chicken off of his plate and gives it to my dog I say Yosue what are you doing I don't know know. he don't even know what I'm saying. He don't even know what I'm saying. Hey, listen, my dog had never been at the table, never begged for food, one time ever. All it took was one time for someone to slip him a little bit of food. I come home one day, I sit up on the couch, and Mater jumps on the couch and lays his head in my lap. I can't speak their language. I don't know how to tell them the rules. See what happened was is that Yosué and John Carlos would come home, and they would, let, they would let Mater get on the couch with them and lay in their lap, so all of a sudden it began to create this Now Mater desired those things. He had never experienced table food before, but once he got a taste in his mouth, he couldn't stop. I was never able to break him from that again. Never. He never experienced it before. But once he crossed those lines, that's the reason when you get into a relationship, you start crossing lines in the relationship physically. That's the reason next time you you get get into that situation, you automatically jump straight to that spot where you were at and you start crossing more lines. It's because the appetite grows. You want more. You desire more because God has created those desires in you. And so what happens is, is that Satan distorts them so that we act them out in ungodly ways. That's truth. And Jesus' response was that he refused the lie. He refutes the lie with God's truth. He battles with God's word. He lets truth lead, not feelings and desires lead. He battles with God's word. So what do I do? What do I do? At the bottom of your notes there, we got a little section there called, What Do I Do? What do I do? There's a couple things. I'll blow through these real quick. The first thing is this, is that you need to change your appetites. Change your appetites. See, our greatest appetite should be more of God. Like, is there an appetite in you for more of God? Like, do you have an appetite for his word? Do you have an appetite for worship? Do you have an appetite for the things of God? Do you have an appetite for holiness? See, listen, Jesus responds to Satan like this. He says, listen, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Something had developed within Jesus to where he knew that physical things don't just satisfy, but there is something greater that satisfies, and that is God. Where's the appetite? See, I'm talking to Brett who was up here sharing his testimony earlier about going to Africa for two months and what God had did in his life over those two months. And man, he's on fire for Jesus and trying to start this organization to help this orphanage out for, for disabled kids over in Uganda and talking about taking another trip over there and building a website for them. and all I Man, he has all the passion in the world for God. He has an appetite for more of God, an appetite to serve people with the love of Christ. Where is that appetite in your life? You have to change Your appetites. You have to change your appetites. Jesus understood that the greatest appetite that he could have was for God. That's the reason the psalmist says it this way. Taste and see that the Lord is good. See, if you get a taste, one little taste of Jesus, one little taste of what it means to have a full life in him, let me tell you something. You will never, ever, ever go back to the way things were. Yeah, I smoked pot and sold for five years, got alcohol poisoning twice when I was in high school, drank for all four years of my high school. When I was a senior in high school, God rocked my world, rocked my face, changed my life. Once I tasted just a little piece of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, my life has been radically changed forever because the goodness of God is so much greater than any appetite of anything in this world. And that doesn't mean that temptations aren't still there. It doesn't mean that the enemy doesn't want to attack and destroy, because he does. But what it does mean is that i got to keep my eyes on the prize. I've got to keep my appetite for more of God. And what I've realized is, is that the times where I'm in the Word and I'm growing in my faith and I'm spending time with God, those are the times when temptations tend not to be as big of a factor in my life. The second thing is this. What do I do? Don't battle alone. Don't battle alone. I can't win temptation alone. I need others to tell me the truth as well. PK talked about this a little bit on Sunday morning. I'll show you a quick, quick uh, clip of his, and, and then we're going to wrap this thing up. Check this out.
1: And we have to change what we do. Don't even get in the water. We have to change what we do. We have to tell the truth. I put this in your notes. You have to tell the truth. I'm going to finish it, but I want to stop right there. We have to tell the what? Truth. We have to tell the truth about the world that we live in. I live in a fallible, fallen, broken world, and I am broken as well. And I live in a world that makes decisions on changing emotions and changing feelings instead of God's unchanging truth. And I live in that world, and I'm vulnerable to it. I got to tell the truth. That's the world I live in. And then as I put it in your notes, I have to tell the truth to someone who stands on truth. I have to tell the truth to someone who stands on truth. Hear me in this. I can't do this alone. I do not win temptation alone in my life. I wasn't even made to. I can't, I can't endure this. I need to be with others who are striving to stand on truth and I need others to help me to keep me on the right course. In, in Hebrews, just listen to this, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, we're encouraged. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur, listen to this church, how we may spur, is everybody listening, how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, and not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. You know what God's Word tells us repeatedly? You need to be in community with others who are seeking to stand on truth. You can't go do this alone. You need to be sharpening one another spiritually. You need to be encouraging one another. You need to be in the Word together. You need to be talked about. You need to be telling the truth about your life. In fact, Jesus grew up with others who stood on truth, pouring into his life. He did that for many other people. In great part, that's why we do small groups together. In fact, it's one of the most powerful things that we do as a church. You're going to have to change what you do. You can't go do this on your own.
0: You can't battle alone. Listen, he said... That's why we do small groups at this church. It is one of the most powerful things that we do. Some of you guys saw when you came in tonight that we have life group sign-ups. Let me tell you what life groups are if you're new with us. Life groups... Or an opportunity for you to join up for 12 weeks in the fall. And then you can join up again in the spring. We do 12 weeks in the spring. And it is where we get together in community with one another. We do life together. We share our struggles with each other. We keep each other accountable. We have people that are going to talk to us about our time with God. We have people that, that are, we, we get challenge each other in Bible study. We do them on Sundays from 4.30 to 5.45. The first one starts the, week after, uh, the Sunday after Labor Day weekend. And so, man, we're super pumped about what God's going to do through life groups this year. In fact, we have... had over 219 people sign up for life groups last year and 160 people was our average attendance for life groups last year and we and those who are in life groups know the power of life groups know what God does in community with one another and let me challenge you that is also why we do things by school here as connection groups will start back up in September as well where we'll break out right after the service into groups with people from your school that's why we do life groups by school by gender and by school because we know that there are guys in this room that aren't going to open up about struggles in their life when there's girls in the room. And we know there's girls in the room that aren't going to open up about struggles in their life truly when there's guys in the room. And we keep these groups confidential. If there's someone in that group that shares something that was shared personally and privately in that group, that person's kicked out of the group and not allowed to come back to the group. We don't care. Whatever. We're not here to hurt anybody's feelings or, or whatever. But let me tell you something. You can cause some serious damage when you're sharing the intimate secrets and details of someone's life when they've opened up to ask you for Prayer and you use that for gossip. We don't play that. Homie, don't play that. And life groups are powerful. And they're incredible and we're taking them to another level and this year we're going to ask all of our life groups we do them by school on purpose because we know that you spend time with those people at school during the week you see those people walking in the halls it's not someone that you see just one time on a Thursday night but you can see those people every day to encourage people and we want to challenge our life groups this year to launch a ministry on the campus of your high school so that you can begin to pray for and reach your high school campus to get the ministry outside of the walls of the church and into the schools but we know the power that we believe in small groups we We believe in the the people sharing their burdens with one another because the Bible teaches that. And so let me tell you something. You need to sign up for life groups. You need to sign up for life groups. And you need to get involved in life groups. Listen, they are so powerful and so important, I believe, to this ministry that, that I have made a rule that if you are on this stage in any capacity, you must be involved in a life group. If you're in the praise band You must be in a life group. In fact, I want to know if you're in the praise band and you're not in a life group, why you don't have an appetite to go deeper in your relationship with Christ and be in a life group. If you're going to be on this stage, I care more about you spiritually than I care about your talent that you're going to bring for everyone else to see. And that's what we care deeply about in this ministry and in this church, is we care about you spiritually. We care about your journey I know that some of you in this room are struggling with some deep, 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 heavy struggles and sins in your life. I've been there. And at times I'm still there. And we need each other as a band of brothers and sisters in Christ to lift each other up. To love on each other and challenge each other. And the third thing we see that you can do is resist the devil. Resist Satan. The Bible tells us, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The power of Christ in you is stronger than the power of Satan's temptations. In other words, you can resist the devil. You don't have to give in the temptation. Notice this. In every one of the temptations through Matthew chapter 4, there's three temptations that Satan brings to Jesus. In every one of them, Satan starts the temptation, Jesus ends it. Satan started this temptation here, and Jesus puts an end to it. Jesus says, no more. No more. I'm not putting up with it anymore. And listen, you have to put your foot down and say, I am tired of this. I need to lay this thing down. In fact, I say resist the devil because it's biblical. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Listen, you resist the devil, he will flee from you. He can't touch you. If you have Jesus living in you, the victory is already won. He has no place tempting you and destroying your life. Now listen, when we talk about Satan, a lot of times people start thinking, well, is Satan's fault why I am doing the things that I'm doing? No, 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 no. Satan tempts the flesh with the world, but let me tell you something. You are responsible for your choices. You're responsible to stand, and you're responsible for the choices that you make. So the band's going to come up, and they're going to sing a song to kind of close out this time right now. And this is what I want to challenge you with tonight. I want to challenge you to do business with God. I want you to go back over those notes that we just talked about. I want you to look at some of the questions that I asked. Like the first question I asked, what are the lures that Satan uses in your life? I want you to think through some of these things that you know that you need to stand on. Maybe you, if you're honest with yourself, you say, "You know what, Derek? I always give in to my desires. I always give in to my feelings, and I don't get, I don't give in to truth." Derek, how can I get God's truth? How can I know God's truth? How can I grow in that? How can I learn more? How can I be deeper in my faith so that these temptations don't beat me down and attack me anymore? And let me tell you something. There's some of you in here that need to do some serious business with God. You got some things that you need to lay down. You know that those sins in your life are rooted so deep, you're like my dog, Mater, who just keeps coming back to the table for more. You can never seem to break free from it. And night, you want to get some victory over that in your life. Let me tell you something. You can't do it alone. You need to sign up for a life group. You need to talk to me. You need to talk to one of our adult leaders, to one of our people. Talk to someone that can help you, that can guide you in this journey, that can help you get victory in your life. I don't know what your struggles are, but you know what they are. Listen, the church is a hospital for the hurting. We don't come here pretending like we got it all together. The mere admission of being a Christian is saying that I'm a sinner separated from God and I need the grace of God to come and save me because I can't do this on my own. I'm not perfect and you're not perfect. Let's stop pretending. Let's stand on truth. And let's realize that there's a real enemy out there who's out there to destroy you, and there are real temptations. And you have the power to overcome through Jesus Christ. And so some of us tonight need to do business with God. You need to have a conversation with somebody tonight. Maybe it's a friend that invited you and you see Christ in them. And you say, man, I need to just be open about something I'm really struggling with and dealing with. And I don't know how to get victory of this. And there's others of you in there. The reason that you may not have victory in your life is because you don't have a relationship with Jesus to begin with. Because it is only by his power that you can break free from the grip of the enemy anyway. And you've been waiting to make that decision, and you need to make that decision tonight. And if you're here tonight and you want to make that decision, I want want to challenge you to do that. It's not about what you pray. It's about your heart, and it's about you just saying, God, I realize that, that I have sin in my life and crap in my life, and God, I need to give it over to you. God, I need you to come into my life and save me. I can't do this on my own. I've been trying to do it on my own for far too long, and God, I want to give my life to you. And if you're here tonight and you do that, please, by the end of the night, come and tell me that you did that tonight. I'd like to give you some stuff and talk you through that decision. Let's not play around, man. This is serious business. This is business with God, the King of the universe, the King of kings and Lord of lords. So, Father, I pray for these students tonight. I ask God for you to move in their hearts and their lives that you challenge us with more of you. God, I know that our appetites will change. Our appetites will change if we fill those spaces with more of you. God, I pray for an appetite among these students in this room. For a deep encounter with you. God, that they crave it, that they chase after it, that they seek after it. and God, that they would have victory over these issues and sins and temptations in their life. And God, that everything that the enemy has built up, God, I pray that you would tear it down. And for that student tonight here who says, I need to know Jesus. I need to surrender my life to him. I need to get this junk out of my life, and I need his power working through me. God, I pray that tonight they would have the boldness to do that. So, God, be with us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.